and welcome to the uh, Clear Master Tai Chi Mastermind meeting. Uh, today is Friday, January the 8th, and today's topic is um, Tingjing. Ting is the thing, feel the energy requested by Phil Chan, and the uh, today with us is uh, let's see here. We'll start coming from you guys. Normally, I take you guys last, but um, Matt Holker, the regional organizer for Maryville, Tennessee, outside of Knoxville. Hi, everybody. The uh, um, Jeremy Keeble is a senior student here in Maryville, Tennessee. How's it going? Art Don in the Washington D.C. area, outside of uh, outside of Washington D.C. Up in, uh, I'll let him tell you where. Yeah, hi. Uh, Greenbelt, Maryland. It's about 15 miles east of Washington, D.C. Cool. Greg Nomeyer in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, and other parts of Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Michigan. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. And Phil Chan in Columbus, Georgia. Hello, all. Yeah. And Ty Talbert in Colton, California, and other parts I'll let him tell you. Hello, and Riverside and Redlands, California. Harry Leg in Verona, New Jersey, outside of New York City. Hello, hello. Yeah, about 15 miles northwest of uh, Manhattan. You got it. Thanks. Daniel Stringer in Central Florida. I'm going to let him tell you which parts. Uh, Paisley, Deland area, and hello. Hello. And Sheila Bell in Costa Rica, and I'm going to let her tell you the places. Hey everybody. Yeah, I'm in Guanacaste, which is the northern Pacific region of Costa Rica, and my classes are in Playa Panama, Playa del Coco, and in Liberia. Cool. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. All right. So, uh, so let me say real quickly that uh, for our our uh, sponsor promotion, there uh, we have a video. It's called Dong Jing Knowing. And that if your Ting Jing is good enough and how to get your Ting Jing good enough, which is what the video is about, um, then eventually it becomes Dong Jing, also known as knowing. And then, of course, in the more advanced than that, it becomes uh, that, you know, kind of ahead of time um, and, and starts to look at least look like, feel like, uh, act like psychic ability. Anyway, Dong Jing, knowing. And we have that video and Matt's trying to get you an address on that. Well, so you can find that and uh and a number of uh tai chi courses at clearmartialarts.com um and uh and there may be a more direct link than that that i uh that is slipping my mind but you can definitely find it at clearmartialarts.com and uh go to the store page and you'll find knowing um in that list cool uh so ting jing ting is the thing feel the energy right and our slogan uh, the slogan i'm giving you there um, it ain't, you ain't got that thing if you don't have the ting, something like that. Our slogan is about, uh, this slogan is about ting and using it. To influence a thing, you must first be able to perceive it. You have to ting the thing. The, uh, and so ting in the beginning becomes just feeling your partners, if you're, you know, if you're working on a push hands thing, how much pressure they have or don't have, how much tension in their body they have or don't have. Um, and then it gets into things like feeling their heart rate, feeling their breath, feeling their, um, feeling their lines of force and, and or where they're trying not to be, um, feeling their connection all the way through their body to the ground or, or that they're just all upper body. 
um, and those kinds of things. And then it graduates into uh, many more higher level things. And it's a lot. It's like everything that is there or most of what is can be perceived, including what's going on inside a human body, um, yours and someone else's. So there's great health applications and there's also great self-defense applications. And one of the kinds of things that comes up when you start, when you're, when I'm working with students, when you guys are working with students, I, I, the, the folks that are on this call, uh, also I am sure, is that I'll feel somebody and I'll go, oh, this thing is off in your back or in your leg or in your whatever. And they're going, how do you know that? Well, I can feel it. And you're thinking about this. Wait a minute. How do you know that? Because I can perceive it. I can feel it. Um, and that kind of thing, because it does eventually become things like you can feel the person's mind and their intent and what they want to do and what their body is mobilizing <laughs> or getting ready to do and that kind of stuff and their lines of force and where they're coming from and how they're changing it and whether it's a trick or whether it's a real, in other words, are they trying to, trying to get you to go for bait that they're trying to push you or are they really pushing you or wanting to push you? Those kinds of things. Um, the, uh, and so uh, part of that sensitivity, and we've talked about Ting before on some of these, and so there's quite a bit of depth in it and quite a bit of depth in our training for it as well, um, is how is somebody picking up all that stuff? Because there's certain things that, you know, you think, okay, on normal touch that we're used to and that you can pick up, but then there's things that I'm talking about with Ting or that we are teaching about that are unusual or that you normally wouldn't think of somebody as being able to pick that up. And so one of the things that comes into play is how are you doing that? And so you really, really get into the nature. Uh, and let me say it this way. If you ask me one skill that I get to kick out of Tai Chi and all the rest of the skills I don't get to have, what skill would that be? For me, that skill would be really high level ting. Now I might need some things in order to have that high level ting, but if I've got high level ting, I can get the rest. There's not very many other skills where I can say, if I've got that one skill, I can get almost all the others. But with ting, that is with that ting being that sensitivity that it's, it's, it's um, translated typically as listening, but it's listening like the way that somebody with a very trained ear listens to a great big symphony orchestra. And they can say in the string section, there are six cellos and one of those cellos is off by that much, you know, or, or the other one I like to use is an auto mechanic. It's been an auto mechanic for their entire career. And they're, and they're, you know, they're older, they're an old, old person, you know, they've been doing this for 25, 30, 40 years now. Car comes in and he goes, Oh, that car's got this problem, that problem, the other problem. The other guy listening to it, who's been there for three or four years goes, how do you know that? Cause I can hear it and I can feel it in the vehicle. And so I can tell those things are off. And so it becomes that um, with this, except it's with it, with your own body and with somebody else's body, with human beings, you can apply it to whatever else you're trying to do, but, but it starts with the human factor, at least for me. All right. And so this, your senses are receptors, uh, think like antenna, for sensing or receiving vibration and information. Your brain is actually what processes that information. So the, the people, a lot of times they think my eyes are what, are what is telling me what something is. Well, your eye doesn't tell you what that something is. Your brain does. 
but your brain had to get the information. And so I see it and that goes into the brain and the brain processes what it is. And so most people, when they think about what your receptors or your antenna are, as we think about the common thought is that there are five or six senses, which are touch, sight, hearing, smell, taste, you know, and then the, and then ESP, but that's this nebulous unknown kind of a, kind of a quantity or thing um, by most people's estimation, if it even exists at all. But although most people in today's world have had some kind of something happen where they're going, even if they're still kind of denying that there's, that's a little odd. There's, there is, seems to be something more there, but it's so unusual and, and can't be quantified and can't be counted on um, to the degree that, that, that they'll discount it as a thing. Anyways, so let me say that to begin with the touch as an example of things, touch has been found to be distinct from pressure. Touch has been found to be distinct from temperature. Touch has been found to be distinct from pain, uh, nociceps, nociception, and even itch sensors. Right, and so those are four things that we would normally think of as being a, a factor of touch in terms of the sense. And yet what science says now, primarily neuroscience, but Western science and medicine, is that no, there actually are four other sensors that work there for just this part that aren't touch sensors in the way that we normally think of touch. And so there are other senses that are acknowledged now very directly proven by Western science that we have. And so we have a lot more different kinds of radar to pick up the signal. Now we have to interpret that signal in our brain. And there's questions on some of these, whether people have the ability to do that or not. What I will tell you from my own experiences is, is, is that if you have the right kind of training and method and Tai Chi's got a lot of that, clear Tai Chi specifically has a lot of that, then there are ways to get it so that your brain can pick up and perceive what these antenna, what these senses are going to bring in for you. But it's not always the obvious and it's not always super easy. And the first step is almost always the hardest. So people feel a body. I don't feel anything. We'll feel their heartbeat. You know, and when I started using that to try to help teach folks, I thought, well, everybody can do that because we're used to that in our society. Well, we are used to the idea that you can check somebody's pulse in our society, but a lot of people go, he's dead. I don't feel nothing. I'm going, okay, he's not the one of the two of you that's dead. But anyways, <laughs> uh, one of you can, one of you's got a heartbeat and the other one can't feel it. So we got to work on that anyways. Um, and so are there any questions, thoughts, anything so far? And then we can kind of get into what some of these senses are. Well, so it, just to kind of summarize what I'm hearing is it, it sounds like the, that, you know, we Western science has identified that we have all these different receptors and the question on the table that we're kind of looking at is, is how much of that information that we can perceive can we then kind of put together and get a bigger picture of in our mind? Well, so what I'm, no, what I'm starting with today is just letting people know that you have more than five or six senses. What the science is now saying, we have somewhere between 19 and over to over 30. And I'm going to talk to you about what some of those are, because one of the things that comes up in Tai Chi across the board is people go, the Chi does this and the Chi and I feel this thing. And it sounds like, you know, they're, they're the astrology 800 line. And so people go, yeah, all right, man. And all of that. And so what Western science is now saying is, oh, no, you've got receptors to be able to pick up that information. 
and Western science has agreed to that. And then in some cases they're saying, and they'll either get somebody in that has one of these senses that's picking up the information, maybe extra loudly, extra more, and their brain is, has become more and more accustomed to getting that information and processing that information. They're going, this is a human anomaly. And what most people, when they see that, think is that the anomaly is that they can perceive it in the first place. And that's not the anomaly. Because what they're saying is, is that the vast majority of the popu of human of human beings have the ability to perceive the information like this. It's did your brain, does your brain have the ability to process that information? And obviously our brain has the capacity for the vast majority of the population, but how do you relate to it? And, and I'll start by saying that one of the things that happens is that if you show somebody a picture of something they've never laid eyes on before, they don't have a category for it. They don't know how to label it. They don't know how to relate to it at all. They've never seen that uh, or anything like that. The, uh, they usually can't see the item very well. They don't have a way to talk to you about it. They don't have a way in their brain to, to put together what they're looking at. A lot of times when people are in a really bad, I'll say it from a self-defense side for a minute, when they're in the middle of a really horrific situation and it's unfolding in front of them, a lot of times people are standing there watching it. And if you look, if you're in the position to see them do that, I've been there and done that. You see this almost like a dog looking at something where it's like, what? And people think what's happening is that they're in the shock because this terrible thing is happening and that they're not getting past the shock. And what I'm gonna tell you is that can happen. But what happens a lot of times is it's like, I'm not really seeing that because I've never seen that before. And their brain is trying to wrap around that this is actually happening like that. And the real danger of this lies in this direction. And I had better be over here, but they can't even get to that part because their brain is trying to piece together what's actually happened even if it's something that you maybe have heard about um, before, but haven't really seen like that. It's just, it takes the brain that long to catch up to what it's, to what it's taking in. Right. Okay. Questions, thoughts. So the first part here that for me is that, okay, you've got receptors for that. This is what Western science now is, is saying and, and, and mostly agreeing to because in the East or certainly, certainly in the older Chinese medicine, Chinese martial arts, Chinese, you know, this kind of a thing, internal, it's certainly the internal arts like Tai Chi. Um, these are known things, most of them for a while, not that they would word it in the way that I'm telling you now. What I'm trying to tell you is that Western science says that the the radar, the capacity to pick up the information is there. And we know that the brain's got the power to process what it can take in to the degree that it does or doesn't. And that if you work at it, as long as you can receive the information, you will, you will with the right training and understandings, be able to process that information and then start to understand, okay, that's this thing. And I know that, or I feel that, or I sense that, or I, or I, or I smell that, or I see that, or I hear that, or... I, and then you wouldn't necessarily say I proprioceptive that, but you know, it's, it's however you took it in and then your brain is making sense of it. All right. So some of the other senses that are acknowledged by Western science, um, one of them is proprioception and proprioception in a simple definition. And there's more to it uh, on most of these. That is the case, by the way is knowing where your body is in space. So if you can close your eyes and touch your nose, they're saying, this is what I, what I got on this, is that 
proprioception is why you can find your nose and it isn't, you know, I can't find my nose because I closed my eyes. The, uh, and when I say that, I'm using nose, but really the other elbow, the other end of your other fingers, the back of your head, same thing. They're saying that the proprioception is why you know where these things are, that that's the sense that's allowing you to do that, the, the, the radar for, for that. Interoception is feeling the internal state of your body. So if you're exercising and you start feeling your racing heartbeat and, or you, you, you know, you're, uh, you've met somebody if you're single and, and maybe if you're not single, but, but if you're single and you meet somebody that you're really excited about, your heart's kind of picked up and racing and that kind of thing. Um, and you can feel that then again, that's your interoception, how you feel, um, by the way, people would go, oh, how you feel? So like if you're hungry or thirsty, actually what I've got on this now is that hunger receptors are their own thing. Thirst receptors are their own thing. Right. Well, they're, yeah, and, they're and, separate. They're not the same receptor. Yeah, and interoception, if I'm not mistaken, is like the class of stuff that falls into that category. It's, it's Makes sense. Like a category of those kinds of receptors, which are all distinct from each other, but all have to do with the internal state of your body. Yeah, makes sense. And so in that case, you would, we would say like, if you feel that you've got flush, maybe you got embarrassed in your flush, right? Um, that kind of a thing. You may feel that flushing and then that would be another aspect of interoception as the category is what he's saying. But the receptor that let you feel that is a different one than the one that made you feel your heartbeat racing or that you were hungry or thirsty and these other things. Um, anyway, so any thought, any questions or thoughts at that point? And then I can pick up on some of these others, but I want to make sure I've given you guys a good chance to weigh in. I'm not trying to just rattle your ear off here. Right, so I've forgotten, but all the, you know, the major taste Oh, so, <laughs> so, you know, we have four major tastes, you know, sweet, Salt. salty, bitter, sour. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and the, the, the eye receptors, and there are at least a, several different types of receptors, but some of them perceive black and white and some of them perceive colors and this color, primary colors, and then they're combined to create the intermediate colors but so we have color perceptors and black and white perceptors and then we have taste perceptors yeah we have we also do we is depth receptors or is that the brain processing the depth no in the eyes there are black and white perceptors and then the, the rods and cones yeah, yeah. which are what different about, what about depth depth is because of the binary uh that's a question of interpretation i think of interpretation okay and yeah. you've got two receptors and so they're using their they're kind of uh, triangulating. Triangulating. Yeah, something like that. As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, when you, if you lose an eye, you lose your depth perception. That's a right. Yeah. And it, it absolutely affects you. He does. Driving. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, good. Yeah. What's Just that? input on this. I, and uh, I know uh, when I started studying with you, a while back, I had mentioned uh, this, uh, just coming from the, the experience in law enforcement, it, it was the most difficult thing for me to try to explain uh, when 
when training new people or, or uh, new cops on the street uh, up in New York, it, it was very difficult to try to explain what you feel or how you know something. If, if there's, you're driving down the street and you know, you yell to your partner, stop the car, he's got a gun. And, and later, you, you know, you say, okay, what was it exactly that, that cued you to the, you know, to the fact that, you know, you, you were able to tell that person had a gun. And it's uh, a lot of it, you wind up learning as you go along. But with what I found with the martial arts is it was very difficult to quantify or qualify how you felt energy, how you feel ting, how you feel, uh, you know, different sensations. And it's, it is a, a learning, you know, a learning stage or a progression in learning where you have to start out first being open or receptive to all these different receptors that the body has and all this inf information that you're processing constantly yep. so it's uh, it is a, an interesting and you know studying with with you know you guys with clear tai chi it's it's been great because you have a lot of this stuff categorized and and quantified which yep. uh, very grateful for but, yeah the, thank you yeah i mean for me it really became important to okay if i'm going to be teaching people to do this i don't want to be arguing with people all the time and not the people who are studying, because if you're studying and I'm and I'm feeling you and I'm going, this is what you're thinking and this is what you're doing. And this is where you're inside trying to do this. And this is where you're trying to bring force. And this is what you're thinking there. And you're going to now move it that way. And the person's going, holy crap, that's exactly what I was doing. How do you know that? I don't have to have worry about having a discussion with them about this isn't possible. They're experiencing it. Problem is, is then when you go out and you tell other people this and or I'm interacting with other people, they're going, that's not possible. And then you have to get into the discussions. And for me, I was like, why don't we just have it have the discussion up front? It's like what we're doing today. And if they don't believe it, then they're never going to bother with me. And that's fine. I don't want to argue with people. And I, and I definitely don't want to argue with people all the time. And in the public venue today, you can easily be doing that. And so I'll be like, look, look at this. If you're going, no, nope, Western science is bogus too. It's all crap. The earth is flat. Okay, I'm I'm not going to interact with you. It's, that's it's that simple. If it's something like, well, okay, I'm not so sure about this. What I would rather do is go. Well, instead of taking my time to just prove to you basics of like what science has proven, I'm talking to you about these things. And so, like, if I'm giving you a name like proprioception or interoception or magneto uh, magneto mag reception or electroreception, which we'll talk about. No, anyways, any of the others, and you're going, is that really a thing? You can go look it up. In today's world, you've got, you've, as long as you've got a computer and internet access, you've got the largest encyclopedia that ever was, and much more current. Of course, you have a lot of bad and false information too, but you can check your sources easily enough. And you can go look it up. And then you can uh, see enough things to know. Um, whether it's real or not. And I'm trying to put more and better materials out there for people to be able to, to, to interact and to learn at that level. And so if you need the proof, ideally there's the proof. I don't need to be involved in that conversation with you any more than, than just, you know, briefly and, and not with the argument and nastiness or anything like that. Um, 
and go on. If I get somebody, all they want to do is be antagonistic. It's like, you got the wrong guy. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not trying to dispel anything like that. And go find somebody else that wants to have those arguments. I don't, I don't care to have it. Um, and simple like that. The, uh, and if they don't like the way I'm putting something, or if they said, hey, your science is off a little bit there, I appreciate the education, but if you got an attitude about it, I'll be like, thank you. Now I'll go to an expert on it instead of you and go away. You know, it's, it's, but if you're like, oh no, really see this works kind of like that, I'm all about it. I'm an avid student um, and will continue to be for my entire life as long as God willing lets me, right? And so I'm, I'm good for all that. And if they're, now if the question is, well, wait a minute, if it's something like electroception, which is feeling and sensing electrical fields, and you're saying that you can do that and you can learn to perceive so that you visit, so that you mentally know how, and they say that the skill exists, that the, the receptor exists, but now your ability to process it, they're not saying that. Well, did they say you couldn't? Because what most of the time when they don't know people that can feel something and then, and then process it, they're just saying people don't, we don't know that people can process it. We haven't met people that can process that. We'll have to deal for being able to do something is knowing it's possible. When I say, when I say have to deal actually for people who haven't done it before, if they think it's not possible, 99.9% .9 of the deal is knowing it's possible. And if we've got a receptor for it, then you have the ability to process it too. It's just, what are you going to have to do to learn how to do that? Well, get electrocuted a few times. No, don't do that. The, uh, <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah, you'll start to be very sensitive about when you're getting too close to electricity after that. There may be other problems too. Anyways, what's that? We were talking about what? The four minute mile thing. The um, Yeah. The, 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 for anyone who doesn't know the history of it there for a long time, it was considered like a human barrier. Like it was impossible to run a mile in less than four minutes. Like it was something that just human physiology didn't allow and uh and runners would get would like approach it uh race after race after race but no one did it until finally one person did it and then like the next year like 12 people did it and then it just became more and more and more common but as long as it was kind of believed that it couldn't be done nobody did it <laughs> i think i did the math on that and the four minute mile means you're running at 15 miles an hour that's right <clears throat> Don't quote me on that because I'm just, I, that's what I think I've looked up on it, but it's been a yeah, while. Cause it's, yeah, because four times 15 would be 60. Yeah. yeah. That's right. All right. Um, anyway, so, so another one of the receptors there is equilibrium. Some of these, by the way, I probably am going to pronounce wrong if you're somebody that has the scholarly acumen to know how they're supposed to be pronounced. So bear with me. I apologize in advance. All right. So equilibrioception is your sense of balance and your ability to feel velocity. Like if you're in a moving vehicle or something, or on a horse, or you know, or walking and, and moving along, even. Thermoception, feeling outside temperatures, like you're standing at the fire and you can feel that the fire is warm, but yet it's not close enough to really warm you up. Uh, that's thermoception. Kinesthesia? Feeling how your body is moving, straining, um, those kinds of things. Chronoception, sensing the passage of time. Some of us choose to tune that one out more than others. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about. The, uh, the, uh, well, so I don't see the one here for tuning out the passage of time, but you know, 
Oh yeah. We know one person who has developed that skill. Yes. <laughs> oh, come on. It's only 6 a.m. And we've been here since 10 p.m. the day, 10 a.m. the day before. But anyways, <laughs> electroception, feeling and sensing electrical fields. Magneto or magneto reception, the ability to feel and sense magnetic fields. Uh, they say it's what bats use to navigate. Science has proven that humans do have it. Uh, nociception, three distinct types of brain, uh, I'm sorry, of pain receptors, three distinct types of pain receptors or nociception. We have cut, cut, cutaneous, which is skin, somatic, which is our bones and limbs, and then visceral, which is our body organs. When I broke my back, I felt all of those. I'm just saying. The, uh, and the most painful of the group was this was the uh, visceral, the body organs, actually. The, uh, at least initially. Um, stretch receptors, um, senses dilation of blood vessels in the lungs, bladder, stomach, and the gastrointestinal tract. Um, and when you have headaches, like there's somewhere it's an expansion or a contraction there of the... Uh, uh, the veins and the blood circulation in the head. Chemo, uh, chemo receptors, which detects hormones. So in other words, we have the ability to do this. We can detect hormones. We know that people do this. They just normally do it subconsciously. And what I'm telling you that's probably different is that you can perceive it subconsciously. You can also, with time and training, perceive these things consciously. Anyways, detects hormones, also detects chemicals. And connected to the chemoreceptor is a vomiting reflex, certain aspect at least of a vomiting reflex. There's certain chemicals that even just a little whiff of it and you're vomiting like crazy. And that's how they know, that's, I guess that's how they at least got clued in that this was a thing. Um, any thoughts, questions, anything else? I mean, that, for listing of what I'm telling you about today for different ones, that's what I'm going to, I'm not going to bring up others. There are others, plenty of them. Um, I'm going to talk about I, just, just, you know, the ones I have, and then we're going to get into other aspects of the subject, but is there anything else you guys wanted to ask or talk about or whatever else regarding any of that? Not that I'm an expert in all of it, but, um, I've had a fair amount of work with a good number of them in a way that most people have not. And some of you guys now have too, by the way, obviously, hopefully that's obvious. I guess I'm a little curious uh, with the coronavirus that people are losing their sense of taste and smell. If there's um, other things that people who've been trained could sort of compensate for that with some of these other senses. Maybe Jim knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is the idea, I will say this, there is the idea that you look at the food and does the food look appealing or not, or and if you're used to eating something, it might not even look appealing to somebody else, but if you've got a certain food you eat all the time, I'm thinking like something I wouldn't eat, but but um, what's the name of it? It's, is it squid or octopus? Um, either one, probably, I don't eat it, but, but, um, but squid, <laughs> and if you were eating squid, and I'm saying that because it's got this look to it that most people would go, that's not attractive to eat, right? If you just had it sitting there in a certain way, or a lot of times certain sushis, that kind of thing. I don't eat it, I don't like it, and you might like it, and I'm great, you can have all of it you want, you can have mine. The, uh, but, the, uh, <laughs> but, um, 
But for somebody that's used to eating it all the time, they could actually get a visual off of that that go, no, that doesn't look right. Or, oh yeah, that looks great. And get a sense of it that way. And I'm not saying they would enjoy, completely enjoy it if they can't taste it. But, um, but there is other senses that they're perceiving that with too, including if they had their chemical, chemo, chemo receptor up and up and there was a bad something on there in there that was enough to be a toxic problem to you, you may well be able to pick that one up. But I don't know, the, the bigger question there might be how many of these other receptors, obviously your vision's problem. I'm not hearing about people having their vision blocked because they've got it in the way that the taste and smell is. But would chemoreceptors be blocked by your lack of smell and taste and that kind of a thing? Uh, and so not all your senses would be, but, so, but certain other ones can be. And part of that's how this thing acts, which is it gets in there and it basically is, um, amongst other things, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving you doctor advice and all that kind of stuff. The, uh, and by that I mean Western medical doctor, yeah. Um, is that the virus itself is going in and taking the receptors and like blocking them. And so the other stuff isn't coming in because it's like, if it was doing it to your eyes, it would be cover your eyes. You can't see anything, you know, and close them tight and you can't see anything uh, with your eyes. And so that receptor is blocked. Is there anything, Phil, is that pretty much, and then Jim, I definitely want to give you from having experience. Did you experience the taste and, and uh, smell thing when you had the coronavirus or was that not really an issue? Yeah, no, I, I lost uh, uh, taste and smell smell for the longest. I think I just got it back like uh, a month, maybe six weeks ago. Oh. Um, and it was uh, unusual, both because, you know, when, when you sit down to eat, I'm not a, a, you know, I'm the type of person that eats out of necessity. So if, if something looked right, consistency was right, you know, I, I was okay with it. And it almost, you know, that almost makes up for not being able to, to taste it. But, uh, but a lot of it, yeah, I, I felt very, uh, was it they say when you, you see a cat, if you ever trim their whiskers, they can't move or they can't walk. <laughs> it, it's almost, uh, I felt like that a little bit with uh, not being able to smell, you know, with work. So. What I do know from talking to people who've had COVID too, that they don't talk about this one as much, although you'll see some stuff on it, that people have a loss of sense of balance. So the inner ear is also getting taken a hit along with the taste and the smell. And so it is going after other receptors too, to what degree and all that, all that I don't know, but I know that it is more than just taste and smell. Yeah, my balance was definitely off during that. Yeah. Yeah, mine... Uh, was affected as well. I didn't have the taste or smell thing, but my balance was noticeably off. And some of the um, uh, some of the other issues with um, like heart uh, functionality and organ functionality. I wonder how much of a receptor issue that is. Like the the heart's function really depends on it all kind of syncing up together. And if there's something disrupting that that sync, um, that would be. Yeah, I follow you. Jim, when you you had the thing where your heart would race after you um, after you would exercise in a way that before coronavirus you would exercise it the same way, no problem, or still low heart rate, and that the heart rate went high and then would stay high. This is this is I believe what you told me, and so my question would be, did you have to do something to manually stimulate it dropping, or if you waited long enough, would it eventually come back into? Um, 
I, I am still struggling with that. My, my heart rate or my pulse goes through the roof for no reason. Uh, they, they hook me up to a monitor. My heart's still skipping beats. And I'm still on high blood pressure medicine, which I was not on before the COVID. Okay. So, yeah, it does affect different systems. And, well, you know, it, it let is. Let me ask a question a little differently then, based on that. If Are you feeling that when it happens, or is it you feel fine, and when you check it out on, like, a heart monitor, you're going, oh, crap. So can you feel it, or can you not feel it? That's the first question. No, I, I, it, it, I can feel it, and the body has its own responses, which, you know, I'm trying to get into the deep breathing and, and having that response, but, but the body tends to kick more the other way into the fight or flight or the panic mode you know so sure, so it is uh rehabilitating right? in a, a little bit of a way so here's one of the things i would be doing myself if i had this going on and i'm not saying this because i'm giving you some kind of medical advice right uh, that kind of a thing but i'm just telling you from my own self if i had this going on what i would do is take like one of the heart rate monitors and uh, and anywhere from at least once a day, probably two, three, four times a day throughout the day, I would put it on and see what I could do to get my heart rate to by calm and breathing and meditation and, and all the things that you've got that we, that we train in, right, for doing this and seeing if my heart rate was on where, not, I'm not talking about when it's going crazy at first. I'm talking about you're standing there and you've got a heart rate of 75. 76 77 you know somewhere in this range seeing if i can't get it down under 70 because of the relaxation and the lowering of the blood pressure and the other things and then getting it to the point where if i'm doing this three four times a day every day to where how to get into where i can get to that kind of a mental state very quickly and also get it so that i i am getting a conscious better understanding and control over that thing and then start applying it to if it's going to go up like that. Okay, can I go into that state and have a positive effect on it while I'm having what you would normally perceive as a as a problem, right? Um, and or what kind of thing triggers it? If it's if it's because of exercise and it's just it's going to go up because of exercise, but then it keeps going. That's one thing. But if you're standing there doing something that normally would be hey, resting heart rate, nothing changed, and it and it starts going up. Well, then I'm going to want to start looking at causes of that and causes of that from a Chinese medicine standpoint, the Qigong standpoint, it could be something that you have or don't have in your diet at this point. It could be um, other kinds of triggers, whether it be some of the other receptors are taking in an information and responding to it, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. Um, it could be, uh, you get the idea where I'm coming from with this. Yeah, no, and I, and I'm sitting here laughing because Harry said you do this to him all the time too. But uh, I was actually just on the uh, I have a little pulsometer, and yeah. and as about ten minutes ago in the conversation, I I plugged my finger into it, and the uh, my heart rate was at 85 just sitting in a chair, which right. is too high, mm -hmm. and uh, my blood oxygen level was at 90. Nine too low, so yeah. So I, I was just sitting there while we were on the video conference and and just doing the deep breathing and uh, you know the qigong breathing. So, mm -hmm. 
and, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and it, it it brought the oxygen level up and brought the you know the heart rate down, of course. And make sure that you're getting the whole body breathing because that's the one we found that really makes the big difference in this. In both of those factors, too. Oh. Right. So don't just yeah. breathe, but the whole body. Make sure it's making it all the way to your fingertips, all the way to your toes. Now, here's the question: Have you had the low oxygen rates ever since you got COVID, or is that kind of new right now compared to the normal over the last few months? No, no, that was one of the big indicators with the the COVID when I was still going through it. It's yeah. it's been down into the 80s uh, at right. some of the tests. Right. So, but I'm saying once you got over COVID, it'd been a month since you'd had COVID. Was it still doing where your blood oxygen level was low like that? Yes. And yes. it's been continual. All right. And, on, so, on, yeah, go ahead. and it could be, it, it varies greatly. You know, some days I can take it and it's back up to 97, 98. And mm -hmm. other days, it's you know, it's low. Bill, let me ask you a question because you've been a retired medical doctor um, for the group, hopefully. And if, and if we don't know the answer to this, folks, we will get the answer to this and we'll put it in a future installment here. Um, would his blood oxygen level being low like that causes heart rate to pick up because it's trying to get the blood with air in it to circulate into the system so that he's got oxygen throughout because all your cells need it and basically the cells are being starved and so they're and so it's picking up the heart rate in order to to try to feed them is that a likely scenario is really my question because it's because uh, the logic of it makes sense to me, but I know that may or may not be what's actually going on. So the the rapid heartbeat is a response is very much like what you're talking. I don't. So we need to have a certain amount of blood and oxygen going to our brain and our other parts of our body. Yes. And if not the heart dies. And people, when you say whole body breathing, you go, how can you breathe your toes? Well, are, are those cells alive? Then they're getting air. If they're not, if they're not getting air, five minutes from now, they're dead. Yeah, go ahead. So anyway, and so there are a number of things that cause the blood pressure to rise a lot. And one of them is blood loss. Mm. So okay. if you have a loss of blood or the blood pressure drops, then one of the responses of the body to keep oxygen and blood going to the parts of the body is to beat more quickly. So to accelerate. That's scary because that means if you're dying from that, instead of it conserving, it's basically killing you faster. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and certainly, you know, a commonly stress of any sort will have a response of, of, of a rapid. Yeah, pick it up. Sure. And as far as a loss of oxygen specifically or a low oxygen pressure specifically, I don't know. Yeah, you follow what I'm saying. I'm asking if the low oxygen rate kicks on a response in your body that says, hey, pick up the pace here because we need more oxygen. I'm not absolutely sure, but it would certainly make sense. Okay. Because of all the other things that cause the heart rate to kick up. That, it's similar enough that that's, that that's low, low blood oxygen would have a similar kind of stress on the body where the response of the heart rate to go up would make perfect sense. It would would be consistent. So I don't know specifically, but I would, my guess okay. is if you researched it, you'd probably find that that would happen. That's the case. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that for now. 
and then and then we can look it up. But for a home, I would say unless we come back saying something different in, in the future installment, that that's probably the case. And now a word from our sponsor. In the year 2020, right now, boosting immunity is on everyone's mind. Many scientific studies show that Tai Chi boosts immunity and helps prevent infection from viruses. On TaiChiForImmunity.com, I created a course that teaches the internal principles to make it work. This is the complete what, why, and how to turn your favorite Tai Chi form into an immune-boosting powerhouse. It also includes practices to help ease symptoms for the rare times when you do get sick. Tai Chi can help you live a longer and healthier life and you don't need a special form to do it. The immune boosting benefits of Tai Chi come from the correct expression and utilization of internal power. In Tai Chi for boosting the immune system, I teach you everything you need to know to get the benefits for yourself. Again, that course is available on TaiChiForImmunity.com. That's TaiChiForImmunity.com. Jim, um, so when your heart rate's gone up and you're putting it on, is your blood oxygen rate normally low? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's it's not quite that low. You know, it'll be in the in the mid nineties, ninety four, ninety three. Yeah, so it's going down compared to where it's a little bit. Yeah, and it and it does. It happens. You know, I. I I thought about the stress because that's a typical response during a stressful time. You know, your, your heart rate goes up, but I've, I've taken it just getting out of bed in the morning and it's 114, you know, so, mm -hmm. so it's, you know, it is, it's a, it's an interesting uh, set of side effects. So there's a couple of things that I'm going to, I'm going to recommend to you here to, to, to do try um, and do that. The first one is, is that when you're doing this thing I'm talking about for the four times a day, look at your blood oxygen level each time and see if you can't get that, that number to increase. See, and then the whole body breathing is going to be a key to that. The other thing I would work on. And so that that's part of that regimen of what I'm telling you to do there. The other thing I would work on is doing the expansion and contraction. And we have a video on contraction and expanding work contracting and expanding and using your form to do this, to squeeze the body, to expand the body and how to do that so that it really is systemic. A lot of people, what they do is they'll move their arms out further and they'll move their arms in and I'm contracting, expanding. No, you're not. You're moving your arms out, you're moving your arms in, but your whole body is not like swelling as it were and going in, like in the way that it would respiration from breathing or your stomach churning up food that's taken in, this kind of thing. And again, I'm not a Western medical doctor, that kind of thing. And I don't have a, uh, from a school, like an acupuncture school for the Eastern medicine, but at the Qigong, I've been at it enough. I'm actually going to look probably here this year, if not next on going and getting in front of a board and just getting board certified for the Qigong because I've been doing it long enough and have had enough of results and all that stuff. And with the healing stuff we do, where it's not gonna be a problem for me to get certified at, at probably a doctorate level in Eastern medicine from the Qigong standpoint, it's usually easier to get it with acupuncture, but there are venues to be able to get it with the Qigong. Just, you wanna make sure it's a good one and that you do the work that is necessary to get it. Anyways, I have that. The, uh, I have that ability to do that. So I'm gonna do that. Um, all right, so the, um, 
So using the contraction and expansion training there and doing the set and start doing that. And what I want you to do is to do it slowly and start feeling as you're doing that and working it better and better. Is there anywhere where your body uh, is resistant to that and or brittle towards that? And also some lung capacity, do this carefully, but where you're working on deflating and inflating the lungs as fully as you can with safety in mind, right? With, with really being careful, but doing it. Um, and then seeing if you can't increase the capacity for that and if you can't get your whole body breathing that much better, that much stronger, over time, not in the beginning, over time, after it gets really easy, then also being able to do it and really get breath in and deep and all the way out to the extremities fully everywhere in your body, much, much faster. Um, and that kind of a thing. And so you're going to drive it with breath in order to keep your, ideally to keep your heart rate down and to make it that you're getting better oxygen to all the cells and seeing what kind of an effect that has on the whole thing and making it so that ideally you learn to feel this without using the, um, the device so that then your actual application, of, you're doing the, the daily regimen there for training, but then once it really has reached a certain point, you wanna be able to graduate from the training version of it and just be able to do it. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of it that's so frustrating is before the disease, I was, you know, very, able to do What's exactly all, what you're saying all, and yeah and you've had an impact yeah. in that now that's making it so that it's not an automatic like that anymore or there's some blockage in there or there's some brittleness in there or there's something where the system has been um affected impacted uh, damaged uh if you will and it's you're gonna want to you're doing what i'm kind of the regimen i'm recommending to you here to see if you can't help get that back online and this is from an Eastern medicine perspective, of course. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody that does respiratory therapy and or other kinds of, or neuroscientists, I don't know what kind of there is in that that are practitioners in the field of regular medicine. Most of the ones I've met that are neuroscientists are academics at this point in the universities, but you're not like going to the hospital and seeing a neuroscientist normally. Is there a field of study where you would go and see, a, and Phil, I'm asking you this question. A neurologist and so maybe but but neurologists most of the time are they getting into this part of the field or are they more like guys that are doing surgery to put nerves back here and and block nerves and these kinds of things they're the one they're the the kind of the on the ground doctors who have this sort of understanding and put it into practice they're the ones who you would see if you were concerned that maybe you had parkinson's disease they're the doctors who would tell you um uh, and, and okay, so I would I would see if you couldn't find a really really good one within not even I wouldn't even go local like to your city here he's in Boca, uh, Raton. Um, Jim Kelly's our regional organizer down there. The uh, um, what I would do is probably look in the region or in like in the several county area and see if you couldn't find the best neurologist that you can find that's known for for really having a lot of success working with the different kinds of things like that as opposed to Dr. Cutham, which I'm not a fan of. Um, anyways, and then maybe visit and have a conversation about this at the very least, and they may even be able to run some tests that would tell them because they're gonna have access to some other things that are specific to their field. Um, and what you'll see is that I'm always quick to try, if there's something that Western science has 
Western medicine has that really will address an area. I'm very big about that because there's certain things we've got, machines and, and diagnostic equipment and all that stuff that really is really helpful. And so they may be able to pinpoint it even more specifically than we are. And or if there's a brittleness like in the lungs itself, which, which COVID, especially when it's trying to turn into pneumonia, like it did on Jim, um, and that kind of thing has a tendency to make some of that stuff brittle and cause other kinds of problems. So I would be talking to pulmonary, I'd be talking to uh, lung, um, and I'd probably be looking, talking to neurologists. And the appointments are just so that ideally if there's some kind of an issue there that it's not a surprise that once you know what the problem is, it's a whole lot easier to tackle it. And certainly a cardiologist would be in that. Cardiologist, yeah, for the heart, because they're looking at, at its ability to pump and what's well, that, I guess My guess is he's seen, if I remember right, the reason I didn't recommend it is because he's seeing a cardiologist for the heart problem to begin with. But from what well, I can tell, they're not giving him a lot of great help in getting anywhere with it. Go ahead. And no, back to, you know, back to our topic before about, you know, certain perceptors and, and what you feel and, and how good, the, the whole qigong and tai chi is for the system, I can tell that there's something wrong. What I lack is the ability to quantify it and qualify it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm I go to the different doctors is I think you're going to be able to get a, at least a good lead into that, or at least, yeah, there are problems here. Even if they can't be super specific about it, they'll help you to narrow in on it. And then by doing some um, some of the standing meditation or even possibly sitting or laying down that you may, and with some of the practices that we've got, including the expanding and contracting, including the breathing for the whole body like that. Um, some of the alignment stuff so that you're really making better body, internal body connection. Um, and it may help you to really get your mind into that system enough to be able to work with it. Or if it is a brittle, if it's brittle where they're saying, man, you're lucky you're walking around um talk to me before you do more because then and then then them obviously too um what can be done about that and if they're telling you nothing can be done about that if we either way get back with me if they've given you a regimen and that regimen is going to fix it i'm going to not try to say a whole lot of anything else because i'm not going to try to supersede a western medical doctor and put myself in bad legal position there but at the same time if i've got an opinion about it i'll certainly tell you um, and all this is my opinion and not, don't take it as fact. And I'm not a doctor. Don't sue me. You know, you get the idea. Um, but if it's something where they're going, oh man, this sucks to be you and all that, but it's something like that, then there within the Eastern medicine, there's ways to do certain kinds of things that Western medicine is just not so good at. Um, and we can, um, betting we'll be able to get on that. I'm hoping that it's not anything like that. And it's more like you've just got residual, Kind of like you didn't work out for six months and now you're now you've got muscle atrophy compared to what you ever had before and you just got to build them back up and i'm hoping that the worst case is something like that um and then that case it's like well here's how we're going to build those systems back up especially if they're systems that you're not used to thinking about building like that if it's something a little more damaged or a little more um like brittle lung stuff this kind of thing then we'll have to look at it a little differently. But fortunately, Eastern medicine stuff that and what we do gets into those areas pretty well. So no, I, it, yeah. it does. And I think herein lies the problem. You know, I I know what I was like before and I go to the pulmonologist now and they take x-rays of your lungs, a CAT scan, 
They're saying, okay, everything looks good. Go to the cardiologist. They put you through a stress test. He says, oh, you have the heart of a 40-year-old. Oh. <laughs> but it's not, you know, I can still feel that yeah. it's all. Have you, gone, have you gone to the neurologist? No, no, not a neurologist. Yeah, I, would, I would try that and see. And just, they might not have anything for you. Again, make sure you find somebody that's coming like everybody's going, holy crap, this guy's like pulling out miracles or something. And I don't mean miracle, like, you know, he's the faith healer on the top of the mountain. What I'm saying is, is there's, as we know, there are all kinds of different qualities of doctors. And the one I'll say that I've ran into the most is that a lot of physicians, not all of them, fortunately, but, but a fair number, you know, they go to work, they put in their eight hours and they go home and it's, they've got a sort of a range of things they do and they don't get outside of that box very much. And so they're, as far as a student goes, they're kind of a C student. And you don't want to see a student for what you got going on there. You need an A to A plus student and find that guy. Jim. Yes. I don't know how you would go about doing this, but one of the advices that my brother has given me is find someone who's oh, either tell them who your brother is so they know I don't I don't mean yeah. name. I'm talking about what he's what okay. Yeah, my brother is um an emergency room doctor. Um and he's been doing, he was a, a, an instructor at Rutgers and another school in Texas that escapes my mind right now. But anyway, he's been, you know, practicing medicine now for about 30 years. Anyway, he says, find somebody who's either had your issue or find somebody who has a family member who has your issue. And they will have put in the extra work to, to get to the very, you know, pinnacle of that problem. Uh, you're talking about you're talking about make sure it's a neurologist or even a cardiologist or a pulmonary that's that that's had that because then yes. they would have looked into it further to understand what the problem is. Exactly. Yeah. I would say still if you get a C minus student, maybe they didn't do that, but if you got one that's a B B B student or higher in terms of their approach to things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going to have... And, and doctors will sometimes, and probably Phil will tell you this, will be reluctant to talk about other doctors, but nurses aren't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of nurses in this family. <laughs> and the other thing, Jim, is you may want to go to a place, an academic center, because I'm sure there are some academic centers where people are doing research. So the kinds of persistent problems, you know, there, there are a range of persistent problems from COVID and there are people treating them and researching them and they tend to be in academic centers. So I don't know where that would be for you, but you know, I'm sure Gainesville would have them. Maybe uh, and in a hospital, one of the university hospitals in Miami might have probably yeah. some, some, you know, high powered people that are doing clinical studies, either systematically or they're at least doing individual research, uh, looking at difficult problems that haven't been addressed before. Somewhere near, near Fort Lauderdale, there's a Diabetes Research Institute. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that I've meant to, to try to make arrangements to visit on one of my trips down there. And so um, since they've got that one, I'll bet there are other ones within, within that Tri-County area that he's in down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, First off, you know, I am progressing. I'm getting better every day. And second off, you know, the the people, a lot of the people on this call, and I, and I appreciate it all from everybody. I know just last week I called Harry and, and 
got some pointers on the whole body breathing and Craig has been great and Sheila, you know, we've, we've gone over the exercises. So I, I think this has done more for me than, you know, I have more faith in it also than going for tests and getting another pill or something. And he doesn't you know, want to be, that, jabbed, you know, Hey, we got one. Ah, <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not too big on being poked and prodded. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's only when they put on that long glove and they say, this is going to hurt you a bit more than it's going to hurt me, you know, or something like that. Anyways, the, uh, yeah, no, what I'm, what I'm recommending on this line of thought, Jim, is that ideally because the issue is what it is, it would be nice that if they can pinpoint what the cause is, because that's, that's the kicker here is that it, is that you really want to try to find out what, the what the driving situation is of the whole thing because it's going to be key because you can keep treating you can even try to treat the symptoms let's say we just did the heart one and all you did was you worked on getting your heart rate down but the reason it keeps going up is because you've got a brittle aspect in your lungs i'm, I'm just using a hypothetical here uh that you've got a brittle thing going on in the lungs and because of that you're not able to take enough air in in certain kinds of ways and that because of that you get a shortage of air throughout your system that then registers down in the 80s for oxygen intake and as you know anything below like 94 you're supposed to be trying to get into the doctor now right uh, because it's serious like that um the uh and then uh, anyways, and then the other things are happening. Well, what's the real problem there? The problem is the brittle lung is not letting you take in enough oxygen in the right way like that. And so you, ideally, if you can get to that cause, it will make a big difference in the whole thing and also letting you know what kind of regimen you need to do to fix it and that kind of thing. If you never get the cause, well, you can try to do a, a systemic, holistic practice to get it and obviously it would recommend that if i don't if i can't get to a cause i'm gonna do the best i can um but heaven forbid there's some issue like that and you're not addressing that issue because you're still always going to have some trouble with it until that gets fixed a and b you can't really go at the problem because you don't know really what the problem is and so if you can find that out i know it's the poking prodding thing we were kind of joking about there but as, as long as if it's like we don't know and we're going to keep poking and prodding you for the next year or two years three years i don't know then no skip that there's no you know i'm not going to be big on that either i'm going to be like you can go away now i don't want any of that but um but if it's something where you've got one that's going okay no i've got a series of things and it should tell us <clears throat> like that and since we know that you have the lung thing and that that brittleness that comes out of that and they'll, they'll put this so much better than me because it's western medicine and it's what they do but the way that it affects the villi and that kind of a thing in your lungs. And I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do to find it out. Of course, I, if they're saying biopsy from you do what you're going to do, I'm going to tell them go jump in a lake. I'm not doing that. <clears throat> but the, uh, but as best you can, if you can zero in on it, it would be useful to you. And there's, there's a, there is a limit to how much I would go to, to get to that cause, but I wouldn't just discount it completely. And if it's doctors that you've been seeing and you know they're good, like your heart doctor and that kind of thing, then, you know, and like you said, the certain tests you've been through. But if you haven't been to like the neurologist and there's certain things they could pinpoint, um, just maybe the tissue's ability to take in oxygen appropriately comes to mind immediately. 
this kind of a thing, it's worth finding out, especially if they can find out without it being a whole lot of fanfare other than the time for to go into the office and get them to do the, the little bit of things they're going to do. Um, probably a blood test or something, but it could be something equal, equally simple, but, but, you know, not, but another kind of test, but something that's going to give them information that then they can come back on. Here's the problem you're having. Um, the other thing is, is that they've probably taken x-ray or whatever now of your chest and your heart. And I would be curious if they're seeing anything on there, because I know that I saw x-rays early on in the pandemic uh, from a physician talking on a program, but basically where he showed a non-COVID affected lung and COVID affected lungs. And it was kind of obvious. And so I would be curious to see if they're looking at them and what they're saying about that. And that's an extra, that's a chest, you know, an upper body x-ray basically. Hello. Jim, one other thing. Um, has your cardiologist ever said that there was uh, injury or there was no injury to the conduction system in the heart? Um, they, I think they said that there was uh, a certain unknown with inflammation and swelling caused by COVID yep. in different organs and parts of the body. So they said that to, to give that uh, time to, you know, subside. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have another appointment in, I think, another two months. Because certainly, certainly heart rate and could be affected by damage to the conduction system. So damage to the conduction system could cause a fast heart rate and it could also cause irregular beats. So this is an electrical problem if it's that, right? Well, it's, it's, it could be inflammation and damage to the nerve fibers. Yeah, which would be electrical. Okay. Yeah, right. And, and then the nerves, obviously. No, it does this because that's what it's doing to the brain, uh, where people have talked about, again, neurologists being the neurologist. Would it be a neurologist that would really specialize in that? No, more cardio. As far as the conjunction. Just for the heart. Just, I mean, the heart, it would, be the, it would be more cardiologist. But having it in multiple organs and where they've, where they've taken that kind of a damage, would that be a... Um, that would be multi-systems, you know, it, it affects multiple organs right. and specialists to a large degree deal in organ systems. But if we're talking about nervous system through and that's part of that swelling and or damage taken in like that, does that fall under neurology or something else? I, if, if the damage was done to nerves in the brain or spinal cord, it would be a neurologist. Uh, as far as surgery, those are neurosurgeons, and normally they don't deal with that. But but certainly, if it was the nervous, if it was problem with nerves or brain cells, uh, it would be a neurologist. If it was a problem with the nerves in the lungs, I think it would be more likely to be a pulmonary person. And if it was the the other organs or it would just be each one's got its own thing that that is just one of the places where western medicine tends to have the trouble because they treat the parts and not the not yeah the yeah so if it's other if it's other you know if it's inflammation in the in the in the liver or the gi tract then it would tend to be you know other specialties yeah 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 and so he's got it systemically in multiple multiple organs yeah so as so long as they're the guys what's that 
sometimes there'll be a team of specialists. Yeah. Well, so Jim, what I'm saying here is that where I told you to do the, the, uh, where you're getting the expansion soft, but, but really that expansion whole system and contraction. One of the things that does is it basically, um, helps to move fluid, including immune system fluids, but other lymphatic fluids, other kinds of things through the system and will help uh, if they're kind of blocked up in that way, although it's been a while, so they shouldn't normally be blocked up like that, but it's gonna to help to move things along. Um, and as long as there's not brittleness in there, which is, which is a key thing to find out, but I think you would know, maybe know by now, but at the same time, make sure that's the lung, the pulmonary lung, the lung specialist is gonna be able to tell you that. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't, for me, for me personally, I'm not letting them do a biopsy to find that out, but I would be doing what I could to find out otherwise. Um, then be careful with that because you can break things and you're going to need it, but you're going to want to get it so that it's got fluid back in it and essentially think about something that got um, a little overheated or, or whatever and it kind of, you know, this way and you're trying to get it to be back to being hydrated and where it's living again. I'm using my hand here to illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, and so the, the expansion and contraction, as long as it's not like, you know, burned up uh and it and it probably isn't or i think you'd know it by now but that's a that's a that's an educated guess and i'm not a western medical doctor like i said um anyways i would be looking to get it to expand and contract and be like living things are and if you can do that through the whole system if that's really what's going on it should help to kind of flush things through and or to help to help it get and help it to go back to what reasonably would be a normal state. The other thing I can't believe I didn't think about until you mentioned the lymphatic system is the Tai Chi walking with the extra. Well, that's um, the vein for the venous pump to get it to go from foot to up through the body. Right. Yeah. And now what I found that I have to do for what he's talking about, how are your feet? Do you feel well? Long story short, to get activation to the feet, I was doing that one where I was doing the Tai Chi walking to get it. And what I found for me is that I literally had to get one of these boards that's got like the knobs on it and I and, and or the exercise ball with all the really hard knobs on it. And I had to really like get my feet on there and work that, that just trying to do regular Tai Chi walking wasn't even remotely strong enough of a stimulation from the venous plexus um, on the bottom of the foot up through the body in order to stimulate that for me, I had to use that external device and then do like I'm doing Tai Chi walking on the device with weight in order to get it to move that through my body properly. But he's right. That may make a big kind of a difference for you like that. Do you understand what we're talking about? I'll get back with Matt and, and go over it just to make sure. He knows, but he knows using too and so we can probably get you a link for it the biggest one is is there's like a bunch of different and, and this was actually referred to me by my doctor here because i was having an issue of my own with my feet where i was and then she recommended this thing to me and and she did it kind of as a gee i don't know that might help but it absolutely did help um and there's a bunch of different ones and a lot of them aren't very good i got one that is very good um and so we'll try to get you a link for that yeah, all right. Thank you, guys. I want to sidetrack the whole meeting here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. And I found for me that the uh, well, and this does have to do with feeling things in the body and being able to sense what's going on and be able to use that information. And why are you using it? Well, you're using it for your health.
and then you're also going to use it for your self-defense stuff, you know, in a certain kind of way as an advanced practice of Tai Chi. So it's all good. Um, the, uh, the big thing I'll tell you about that device or even the ball with the spikes on it is that, and, and for me, the one I use, most people won't use the thing correctly because they're going to be kind of wimpy about it. And I will just tell you in the first place that it kind of feels like somebody is, it feels like torture. That's the right word for it. Uh, and so, um, but it's because you're stimulating, stimulating those parts and you've got to really get it moving through there. So it's kind of like massage. There's a massage where somebody can go boom, 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 boom. Oh yeah. You're all good. And you're going, yeah, I didn't get to really get anything out of that. Or they can get in there uh, and you're going, okay, now I'm, now I'm feeling it. Anyways, the ones on the bottom of the feet, for me at least, I found they need to be really in there where it's like a different level of, you know, you're feeling it anyways. I would, I want to say pain, but I don't quite call it pain. It's a different sensation that's, that's uh, not pleasant, but uh, in a certain kind of way, but also enjoy the pain, take the pain, ah, you know that anyways. <laughs> what was that for what was the device for the the ball with the spikes for you put it you put it on the bottom you can use it a lot of different ways but in this case you're putting it on the bottom of your feet and you're running your feet against it uh like in that tight you walking kind of away and you're putting the weight on there and pressing it across okay and helping to break up that stagnation that comes in there from the blood on the bottom of the feet okay. and it's also stimulating the return the venous plexus is basically helping you to return that blood up through the body so that you get this good up and down communication. And for a lot of people, they lose that. And this part of the Tai Chi and the walking, if somebody's losing a little bit, it's supposed to help. For me, I had to get the extra help of the device on the bottom of my feet in order to stimulate that to really get that return flow back up. Cool. And it's, and it's important because it becomes, if not, it becomes an, uh, a lack of blood return in the body and then it becomes a stagnation and then it becomes a damage in a certain kind of like a, like a you know, uh, not the burned up kind so much, but definitely a stagnation that becomes a, an atrophy of a sort that's also blocked up. And, it, and, it, and then it, uh, if you let it get that far, it starts becoming a pretty serious problem. And so it's just helping that communication up and down to the body and, and pumping that blood for you from the bottom up instead of your heart's just sending out. And then hopefully you're getting a rebound from that. But um, through the body, and I'm, I'm telling you specifically things that I've got both from Eastern medicine and from Western medical doctors. So again, I'm not a Western medical doctor, but if you want to know more about this, there's plenty of information about it online. And the, and the average, uh, my endocrinologist understood this process. She, she, she knows what it was. And it, and it surprised me because I got it originally from Eastern medicine sources. And, and of course it has to, uh, this is how our body works in a very direct kind of a way. And it has to do with blood flow and that kind of a thing. So it makes sense that the, the, the average Western medical practitioner would be aware of this. Well, the first person I ever heard it from was Uncle Bill, actually, and then heard it confirmed independently by Western medical doctors later enough where it was like, wow, Uncle really was on the stick with that one. Like he, and I mean, he specifically called out like it pumps the lymphatic system, and he was, he was like, he was talking about it like he had some real education on that. He probably does. He probably did. Yeah. I, mean, I don't doubt it. 
But uh, used to used to thinking about Uncle Bill is more of a fighter, even when it comes to the Tai Chi. But he's got nice high level medical things too. It's just you normally have to ask him to get that first. So he'll hit you. Yeah, well, he won't hit you, but you know he'll he'll do hitting things uh, quite happily and readily. You don't necessarily have to ask, but the, uh, but for the medical stuff from him, you usually probably have to ask anyways. Usually, I've seen him do stuff where somebody was injured or something, and he's just on it. But yeah. but normally, sometimes he has to do some medical stuff because he accidentally. You know, I don't see him hitting people <laughs> that don't deserve it. Anyway, <laughs> yes, the, uh, so I had, board, I had, hell, self defense. Is, what's that? So I had no idea that that my little question would cause such a <laughs> large discussion. I'm really glad it did. That's super interesting stuff. Um, yesterday, I was visited by a friend who's a dentist. And you know how much I love my essential oil. So he was talking about how one of the first uses of essential oil in, in Western medicine was by dentists when you had a toothache, you put clove oil. Yep. And that's still the case. And so he was telling me yesterday, he was explaining that the clove oil goes in and blocks the receptor sites on the nerves. Uh, and so then when you tell me that the nerve, that the uh, virus is going in and, and blocking the chemoreceptors yep. on the tongue and the nose, um, it makes me wonder because I know, for example, for diabetes type two, we recommend a lot of lifestyle changes and dietary changes right. so that you can unblock the receptors for the insulin yep. uh, in the pancreas and and then or on the cells well, rather, so that when the pancreas uptake and then the uptake from the from the uh, bloodstream into the muscles. Yes, and so on the actually on the cells is, is uh, yeah, I stand corrected. Um, so it, it makes me wonder if doing the Qigong and the particular types of exercises and meditations that we're doing, if somehow we're freeing receptor sites on these other types of sensors in order to become more sensitive and to increase our ting. Yes. Well, and you're also like when I'm talking about this contraction and expansion throughout the body, uh, from the med again, from the, from the medicine, the Chinese medicine side. Uh, but, but obviously it's true across the board too, although Western medicine may, to my knowledge, doesn't have good things for this, but, but the Eastern medicine is going to specialize in this kind of thing, is that the healthy state of any organ, any body part, any of the cells and that kind of thing is very spongy, wet spongy. And that if you start talking, and I don't mean like, like, um, like uh, soggy, I mean, just alive and, and fluid and functional and resilient and very, um, what's the word I'm looking responsive. for? We're very responsive, both squeezing and, 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 out and, and opening and closing and those kinds of things. And so as soon as, if that gets stuck open or stuck closed or blocked up, uh, it starts to turn into health problems really pretty quickly. You know, Sifu, and I think that's one of the main reasons why it is so important to drink enough water because actually everything, all the chemical reactions in your body are happening in a solution. And if you don't have enough solvent, they're not going to be able to work the way they should. Yeah. I wouldn't even say solvent. I would say enough uh, moisture, enough liquid in the right kind of a way. It's about, it's a balance. You, you know, it's not too much, not too little, but yeah. Yeah. Potassium. Fluid, fluid, liquid, um, I don't know that moist is the best word there, but, but, uh, but the, uh, uh, but, but yeah, um, uh, hydrated. Yeah. 
Sheila, I want to mention one thing about the um, your question about the smell and the taste. So they did. I, I heard an, a discussion on the radio when they were talking about people from different cultures. And I think they were talking about people that were going to Japan from the US and people from the US going to Japan. And sometimes they had trouble with the food of the other country. And many times it wasn't a problem with this taste, it was a problem with texture. Mm. Huh? And uh, I think Asian food tend to be a little more moist and anyway. But one of the things for someone that has lost the sense of taste and the sense of smell to enjoy food, it may be helpful to just really focus on the texture of the food. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, interesting. And uh, that what Jim was saying too confirms that. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Um, let me throw this in here. If you're interested in being able to be better at being able to perceive these kinds of things in your body, eventually, if you're growing and working at the kinds of things that Tai Chi is about, you're going to want to develop Dongjing, which is knowing. To do that, you're going to have to really build Tangjing in certain kinds of ways. And I've given a very clear path in a certain way to do that in the Dongjing video. Um, and the Dongjing video is available at? So that video is, is actually available at uh, TaiChiKnowing.com. Um, and Dongjing the, translates literally into knowing. That's what that, that skill means. Um, and it is, uh, uh, there, there are steps to achieve that, but it, but it really starts with <clears throat> this ting, this feeling, this sensing, and, and then that becomes understanding. Um, and this is kind of one of those things that we were talking about you know, at the beginning um, of the conversation, if you look at something that you've never seen before, you have to kind of wrap your head around it. But if you've seen it a few times and you know what it is, you look at it and it's just, well, that's that's a boat or whatever. You know, you, you just see it and that's the thing. You don't have to think about it anymore. And that's what knowing is in terms of Tai Chi skill. It's it's when you when you progress to this point of being able to sense these things and just immediately know what they are and know what it means and know what the source of it is and know what the the outcome of it is going to be in all of it. You just, um, you just really understand it and you know it in all of its aspects. And to get there, there are pretty clear kind of training steps and stuff, uh, practices that you ideally would do to get there as quick as you can. Um, and see for players put that all together in one course called knowing Dongjing and E. And that again is available at Tai Chi knowing.com. Cool. All right, guys, uh, I know you've, everybody's got more things to do on this Friday after day and afternoon and all that good stuff. And thank you and great conversation today. And hopefully we've been helpful to Jim. Hopefully we've been able to help you some on what you've got going there. I'm curious to hear back once you've uh, got to going on some of this stuff, both seeing like uh, probably a neurologist, possibly some of the other ones, depending on what we, you know, what we've talked to you about and or some of the exercises and things that we've talked about, too. Um, and then thank the rest of you for participating and, and being there. Great talking to everybody today. And I look forward to doing it next time and be safe and well out there. And, and we'll do this again next time. Thank you. Sifu. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor.
For those of you who are interested in internal power and want a reliable place to start, and for anyone who wants to experience internal power for themselves, go to internalpowerguide.com. I built a crash course in hands-on internal power. The Practical Guide to Internal Power is a work-at-your-own-pace online program. It is the course I use to get students from 0 to 60 as quickly as possible, and it is totally free. So sign up at internalpowerguide.com now and get started right away. That's internalpowerguide.com.